It's not a question of if, but when. You see, everyone in this room, if the Lord should tarry, will die. That's an encouraging way to start the sermon, right? Everyone. And everyone in this room will be resurrected. Everyone. It's not a matter of if you will be resurrected. The question is, when will you be resurrected? And that's a very important question. Because the when of your resurrection impacts your eternal destiny. And listen to me. Eternity is long. You don't want to be wrong. And so, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. As we continue our summer sermon series, The Seven Blessings of Revelation. There are seven blessings scattered throughout this book which are powerful. They are promises and encouragements for those who Know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We've gotten to the fifth blessing. Blessed is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The first resurrection. Look there with me. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read in verse 6. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Our Bibles are truth with no mixture of error. Where else would we go this morning than to God's Word? Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, the Bible says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the, watch this, first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus, and we ask that you would move in our midst in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would transform lives today by your Spirit, applying your word to our lives. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the truths of Scripture and give us the strength and the wherewithal to obey what we learn. Lord, change us for your glory, for your fame, for your renown. Make us into a church that exalts Jesus and proclaims the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, thank you for that grace, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, we need to establish the context of this verse to understand what's going on around it so we can interpret it rightly. I want you to look with me in chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, to kind of establish what's going on in this chapter. It says... Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might 
not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. These verses are indicators that after a time of great tribulation on this earth, Jesus Christ will come again. We call that the second coming. And he will gather his people and he will defeat the enemy. This passage says that he will send an angel to throw Satan into a pit and he will be bound in that pit for 1,000 years. After Jesus returns and gathers his people after the great tribulation, he will then uh, allow us to be with him for a thousand years on this earth, a thousand year millennial reign where he reigns on the earth and the church, believers in Christ, reign on the earth with him. And the millennium will be a remarkable time. Now you need to understand there are different views on the millennium. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me give you the, 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 the three prevailing views in Christianity about the millennium. One view is called post-millennialism, and that view says that Jesus Christ will return after the millennial reign. The thousand years are not a literal number. Uh, the, the, the millennium is a time when the church will preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and the gospel will overcome and change society, and things will get better and better and better. And when things get really, really good, and the gospel is triumphed over the earth, that's when Christ will return. That's called post-millennialism. Now, this view that the world was going to get better and better and better before Christ's return was really popular in Christianity before the 20th century. And then the world wars happened. And communism began to spread and, and envelop nations on this earth. And there were more people killed in the 20th century than have been killed in all the centuries leading up to that time. And people began to say, well, maybe post-millennialism is not correct. Maybe things aren't going to get better and better and better. Maybe we need Jesus to come back and clean all this up. Because it's not going to just get better and better and better. Jesus is going to have to come back to put an end to all of this wickedness and apostasy and And when the dust settles on human history and Jesus returns, that's when everything will be set in order. So post-millennialism was very popular. It's not a very popular view today. Uh, Another view about the millennium, these 1,000 years mentioned here, is called all-millennialism. The all means no millennium. And that means, the the people that believe that, believe that there's no literal 1,000 years, that the 1,000-year millennium mentioned here is simply symbolic of the church age. As we, uh, they would say, we are living in the millennium right now. We are preaching the gospel, and the preaching of the gospel has bound Satan. And Satan no longer is, is doing his worst on the earth because he is bound by the, 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 the cross and bound by the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so they believe that Jesus Christ will return and that will put an end to all things. The end time scenario will be ushered in by his return. But they believe there's no literal 1,000 year reign of Christ. They believe we're living in that metaphorical time right now uh, in the church age. Again, I believe the, the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000 years mentioned here, is a literal time. And let me show you why I believe it's a literal 1,000 years. This is called premillennialism. My view, I believe that the second coming precedes the millennial reign of Christ. Now look what it says in verse 4. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those 
who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now listen to me. If you're going to say the 1,000 years mentioned here is metaphorical, and you've also got to say that these folks getting their heads cut off and raised from the dead, that's metaphorical too. Now how are you going to explain that? How do you metaphorically get your head cut off? I believe this is talking about folks in the tribulation that stayed true to Christ who literally had their heads cut off and were literally given new life. And if I'm going to take that literal view of this and them reigning for a thousand years, I've got to take the 1,000 years literally as well. So I hold to a premillennial view. I believe the 1,000 years is in the future. It'll happen after this great tribulation, after the second coming of Christ, and there will be a thousand literal years where Christ will reign on this earth with his church. This is before the new heavens and new earth, before final judgment, but I believe that 1,000-year reign of Christ is coming. Now, Keeping that in mind, look there in your notes. I'm going to give you some foundational statements to understand Revelation 20, verse 6. First of all, the Bible teaches that there will be two resurrections in the future. Two resurrections in the future. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, I saw thrones, seated on them were those to whom the authority uh, to judge was committed. Saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not received the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads, on their hands. They came to life, notice that, came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. You see the two resurrections there? So there's a group that came to life before the thousand years and a group that comes to life after the 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ is ended. So the first resurrection, this is in your notes, takes place before the millennial reign of Christ and leads to incredible blessing. Notice these folks that are raised. That includes those who were beheaded to the tribulation. They will, they will reign with Christ on this earth. They will be honored by Christ on this earth. They will experience the blessings of the millennial reign of Christ. So that's the first resurrection. But listen, the second resurrection takes place after the 1,000 years, after the millennial reign of Christ, and it leads to judgment. We're going to see that in a few moments. That if you are a part of the second resurrection, it won't turn out so well for you. Those that are raised in the second resurrection will experience the great white throne of judgment. So here's the big question. Who participates in the first resurrection? If the first resurrection is a resurrection that leads to great blessing, and the second resurrection is a resurrection that leads to judgment, who gets to be in the first one? I want to be in that one, don't you? Who gets to be in the first resurrection? Well, look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul deals with this issue. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no Hope. So he's saying when you're thinking about your loved ones that have died in Christ, those that have, that, have, that have experienced their mortality, you grieve because you lose them because you're sad 
and they're no longer with you, but you don't grieve without hope. There's hope. Where's the hope come from? Look what he says. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, watch this, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice there he says, the dead in Christ. Who experiences the first resurrection? Those who die in Christ. Those who die having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. There are only two groups of people in this world. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. And the Bible teaches that if you are in Christ, you will experience this first resurrection where Jesus comes back and gathers all of his people So if you want to be a part of the first resurrection that leads to blessing and not the second resurrection that leads to judgment, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to be saved. You've got to know him as your Lord and Savior. Listen to me. Church attendance will not get you into the first resurrection. Being a Baptist will not get you into the first resurrection. Doing good deeds will not get you into the first resurrection. There's only one way to be a part of the first resurrection. You must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Your sins forgiven, a relationship with God through Christ. That's the only way you'll be a part of the first resurrection. There's no other way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so... If you look in your notes, people that have been redeemed by Christ will participate in the first resurrection. Those that have been redeemed by Christ will participate in the first resurrection. Now, back to Revelation, let's talk about the blessings of the first uh, resurrection. He mentions there in Revelation 20 verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who shares, who's a part of the first resurrection. Resurrection. Blessed and holy, the one who shares in the first resurrection. Now, what are these blessings? Why is it such a wonderful thing to be a part of the first resurrection? Why is that going to be great when we're raised from the dead? What's going to be so great about that resurrection? Well, let me give you four things here. Number one, you will experience perfect peace. Perfect peace. Because when you are raised, you will then enter into the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. Now, it probably won't surprise you to know that this is not the only passage that talks about the millennium. As a matter of fact, if you go over to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah has much to say about the millennium. Look in Isaiah chapter 2 with me. Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 1, the Bible says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come! 
Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Question, is that happening right now? Are the nations streaming to Mount Zion to learn from Jesus? No, I believe this isn't happening yet. This is going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ. It says there, For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Question, is that happening right now? Are, 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 are nations taking their instruments of war and turning them into farming implements? No. We are across the globe increasing our arsenals of destruction. War is an is a, uh, ever-increasing reality in our world. That's why I believe that all millennialism is not correct. Whatever he's talking about here is not happening right now. This is something that's going to happen in the future. And, and turn with me to Isaiah 11, verse 1. I want to show you another passage if you're not convinced yet. The Bible says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. This is speaking of Jesus Christ the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now look in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Is that happening right now? You watching nature shows lately? Only the strong survive, right? And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Watch this. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. I was in India uh, visiting and doing some work there. And I was in a pastor's home. And and I was standing at the edge of the home looking out over a rice field. And we were just kind of talking about life in India. And I was curious because I knew there are cobras in uh, India. And I said, do you, do you ever see cobras? He said, oh yes, all the time in the rice field. I started backing up. I don't want to see a cobra unless I'm in the millennium. Because this mentions that the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I would submit that what Isaiah is talking about here has not yet happened. This is not the age in which we're living. But this time of perfect peace is coming. It's in our future. And if you're a part of the first resurrection, you get to be in on that perfect peace. Now, it's interesting to note that through the ages, people have been in search of utopia, right? The perfect situation. I even saw last night that there's a show coming on Fox called Utopia. They're going to try to create a utopia, a, a perfect environment. Some people call it Shangri-La, a place where you're not harassed by any outsiders or, or any enemies. People are looking for perfection. But guess what? 
it will not come in this life. It will not come before the second coming of Christ. It will come after the second coming of Christ in the millennium. That Listen, the millennium will be utopia. The millennium will be perfect peace. Christ will rule. We will reign with him. We will experience his presence in an unhindered way. Evil will not win the day. Christ is in charge. Perfect peace. Perhaps... You've been looking for utopia in your life. Perhaps you're trying to get life just right. If I can just have the right amount of money in my bank account or just get this job promotion or just live over in this house or just drive this vehicle or, or just have my kids in this school or, or if I can, just, I can get life just right where I'll have perfect peace. Listen, not going to happen. This, in this world, Jesus said, you will have troubles. And on this side of the second coming, you will not reach utopia. It's going to be hard. Life is tough, right? But if you're a part of the first resurrection, you will experience the millennium of perfect peace. 1,000 years. Wow. Secondly, the, the, the blessing of the first resurrection is this. You will reign with Christ. Look what it says back in Revelation 20. There's an emphasis put on this. We need to understand it. Revelation chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. So Christ allows people to sit on thrones and have authority during that time. It says at the end of verse 4, they came to life, first resurrection, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. A thousand years. Look what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with him for a thousand years. Wow. So if you are a part of the first resurrection, if you are in Christ, you will be raised from the dead, be in the millennium of perfect peace, and you get to reign with Christ. Now you say, Wade, what will that entail? I have no idea. But I don't think we're going to be sitting around and Jesus is going to say, hey, here's the situation we need to handle. Wait, what would you do? I think we're going to be there marveling at the perfect wisdom and majesty and glory of Christ during that millennial reign. Reigning with him as he sets everything in order, as he, as he makes sure that evil will not win the day. Listen, are you tired of evil winning the day? Raise your hand if you're tired of that. I, I'm tired of evil winning the day. I've got good news for you. There's coming a time, it's called the millennial reign of Christ, where evil loses and Christ reigns and you get to be there with Christ reigning with him. Third, you will serve Christ as a priest. Look what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. In other words, you will have something to do for Jesus during the millennial reign. We're not going to be just sitting around playing harps all day, all right? We're going to be living on this earth. Christ will be in control. Evil will be put away. There will be perfect peace. The children will be able to play with cobras and not be harmed. And we will have something to do for Jesus. Now listen to me. If you don't like to serve Jesus, you probably don't want to be a part of this. Because during the millennium, 
you will have something to do for Jesus. Say, wait, what will it be? I have no clue. I have no clue. But we'll be priests. Priests serve God. Priests make God's name known. Priests uh, minister before the Lord. That's what priests do. And we will be priests of God. We will have that special role of service for the glory of Christ. And then, here's the, the next blessing. And the last blessing, you will not experience the second death. If you're a part of the first resurrection, you'll not experience the second death. Look what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Now, what in the world is the second death? I thought one was good enough, right? You told me I'm going to die at the beginning of the sermon. Wait, now you tell me there's another death? What, what is the second death? Well, look what it says in verse 14. Actually, back up to verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. This is the second resurrection. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wait, what's the second death? The Bible says the second death is the lake of fire. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. And that entails our death in this life. It, it, it encapsulates our mortality, but it also speaks to the second death of those who do not know Christ, those whose names are not in the book of life. They will experience an eternal lake of fire. That's called the second death. It'll be like dying for eternity in utter torment. But guess what? In verse 6 he says, if you're part of the first resurrection, you don't have to go through that. If you're part of the first resurrection, there's no second death for you. you. You get to miss that. Don't you want to miss that? If you know Christ, listen, you, you don't go into the lake of fire. Those are the blessings of the first resurrection. I like what James Hamilton writes. Satan has gone from the scene. Christ is reigning on earth. You will be raised from the dead to sin no more. No satanic deception. No satanic temptation. In the presence of Christ, you will do justice and serve as a priest of God. This is what you were made to do. You were created to enjoy God as king in God's land and free obedience to God's law. Uncontaminated. Undefiled. Unsullied. No devil prowling about like a roaring lion. Freedom. Joy. Righteousness. That's what the millennium will consist of. And if you are in Christ and you are a part of the first resurrection, you get to be in on that. Pretty appealing, isn't it? Now, we need to not only highlight the good news, we need to be honest about the bad news. And I would, I would not be worth my salt as a preacher if I didn't tell you the whole counsel of God. We, we've talked about the blessings of the first resurrection, but we need to also consider for a moment the horrors of the second resurrection. If you miss the first resurrection because you don't know Christ, you will be raised from the dead. But that resurrection will lead not to peace and millennium. It will lead to judgment. So let me give you Four horrors of the second resurrection. And by the way, I use that term carefully. I thought about it. 
You say, wait, horror sounds horrible. Well, it is horrible. And these are four horrors of the second resurrection. Number one, you miss the 1,000-year reign of Christ. All that I just talked about. Being a priest, reigning with Christ. The, the lion and the lamb laying down together. Children putting their hands in the adder's den. No evil. But Christ ruling and reigning in his majesty and glory. And you there with him in his presence. You miss all that if you miss the first resurrection. If you're part of the second resurrection, no millennium for you. You will stay in your tomb until the millennium is over. The Bible teaches that at the end of the millennium, Christ uh, will set Satan loose for a season. You say, wait, why does he do that? I have no idea. That's in the sovereign heart of God. He decides all that. But he's going to let him loose for a season. And then he's going to cast Satan into the lake of fire. And then there's going to be this, this great white throne of judgment. That's when you'll be resurrected after the millennial reign of Christ. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. You'll miss utopia. You'll miss peace. You'll miss being free from evil. Secondly, the horror of the second resurrection, there will be no hiding. There will be no hiding. Look what it says back in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. You see what's happening here? The, the, the material elements flee from the holy presence of God. And on that day, if you're a part of the second resurrection, you will be raised to stand before that throne and there will be nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run to. Just you before the holy gaze of a holy God. That's what those who experience the second resurrection will encounter. There'll be no hiding from God. There'll be no running from God. You will be raised and you will be before the great white throne of judgment. Third, there will be no excuses. Look what it says in verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. See, you think you're getting away with, with your evil. You think you're getting away with your sin. But this verse says, when you stand before the great white throne of judgment, there will be books opened up. And those books will contain all of your life. Isn't that terrifying? It says, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Watch this. According to what they had done. There'll be no excuses. You'll say, uh, Lord, I, I didn't know. And he'll just show you in the book where you knew better. Lord, I, I wasn't that bad. And he'll show you in the book all your sin, all your iniquity, all your immorality, every evil thought, every evil deed, every 
act of high treason against God will be in that book. It will be as if there is a replay of your life in heaven. And when you experience that, there will be no excuses. You'll be judged by what's in those books. And can I tell you this? One sin is enough to separate you from God for eternity. One sin. And all have sinned. That's why we need to have our sins forgiven in this life. Because on that day, after the second resurrection, standing before the great white throne of judgment, there will be no excuses. And then here's a fourth thing, the horror of the second resurrection. There will be eternal torment. Eternal torment. Look what it says in verse 14. Back to verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Those who died and were in the sea. People that died on sunken vessels or whatever the case may be. Death and Hades gave the dead who were in it. Those that that died apart from Christ, they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now watch this, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know how much more clear you can get than that. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, redeemed by Christ, then they were thrown, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now there's an insidious teaching that has tried to infiltrate Christianity through the decades called annihilationism. And annihilationism is intended to take the sting away from eternal judgment. And those that hold to annihilationism say, well, when you die, you're just annihilated, then it's over. You don't experience torment or pain, or it's just, it's just over. You, just, you, you know, the, the, the folks that are saved, they go to heaven to be with Jesus, and you don't get that, but you, you don't have to go through suffering. It's just over. You just, you're annihilated. That, that's the judgment. Can I share with you that is not true? As a matter of fact, look back with me in verse 7. I want to show you how the lake of fire is described. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Hey, i.e., God wins. Amen? And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, watch this, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Bible is clear. The lake of fire does not end. It is eternal. Because when we sin, we sin against an infinitely holy God. We deserve infinite punishment. And the lake of fire will not come to an end. There's no annihilationism. There's the second resurrection. There's the judgment for the great white throne. And then you will be cast into the lake of fire. And you will be in that place of torment and separation from God forever and ever and ever. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm going, hey, I'm going to go to hell and party with my buddies. 
It doesn't sound like a party, does it? It sounds like devastating judgment. Unrelenting torment. Horror that never, ever ends. And so, that's the horror of the second resurrection. You miss the 1,000 year reign of Christ. You, there'll be no hiding, there'll be no excuses, and you'll be, you'll be cast into a place of eternal torment. The lake of fire is the second death. I always loved how Adrian Rogers summed it up. He used to say, Born once, die twice. In other words, if you're born into this world and that's the only birth you experience, you'll die in this life and then you'll experience the second death, the lake of fire. But then he goes on to say, born twice, die once. In other words, if you're born again, by the grace of Jesus Christ, saved, redeemed, you don't experience the second death. And so think about that with me this morning. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you're born again, you get the first resurrection, not the second resurrection. So I want you to hear me clearly. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. You will be resurrected. The question is, Will you be resurrected in the first resurrection as a follower of Christ to enjoy the great blessings of God? Or because you've turned your back to Christ and rejected Christ and gone your own way, will you be a part of the second resurrection when you are raised to stand before the great white throne of judgment? When will you be resurrected? got some really good news. Jesus came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And then after he paid the price that we could not pay, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. It was barred because he wouldn't need it very long. And early on that Sunday morning, early on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Jesus Christ rose victorious over death. And because of what Jesus did for us, dying, buried, risen again, because of what he did, we can be a part of the first resurrection. We can be saved. We'll turn to Jesus. Place our faith in him alone. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord. The second resurrection will be horrible, but there's grace and love and mercy if you just run to Jesus.